Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. that. Well, I didn't know if y'all were here. I I thought y'all would applaud that wonderful song. Amen. That's what I believe. Not one word of God has changed. I I think the choir just sang my new favorite song. I really do. That was wonderful. Uh, If I were preaching to a group of preachers, I'd say, boys, if you can't preach after that, you're not called. And uh, amen. Well, thank you, choir. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 10. We're continuing a mini-series we're in uh, on essentials for your mission. Essentials for your mission. What you have to do, ten things you have to do, and you have to be about to be a witness for Christ. And to be a testimony for the Lord Jesus. We started last week. Lord willing, August 6th, we'll be back in 2 Samuel. We'll begin uh, again in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to read ahead. But today we're in Acts 10. Last week, I gave you three of the essentials, all based upon verses 1 through 5 of chapter 10. I want to review them for you. Number one, if you're going to be, to, to be on mission, you have to know and trust what the Scriptures say about lost people. That people without Jesus Christ as their Savior are lost in their sin, regardless of how moral they are or upstanding they are, noble They are lost without Jesus in their sin and alienated from God. The second thing is you must have confidence in the Holy Spirit that He will do His work and that before He puts you to work in their lives, He is at work on that lost person. He always goes before you. And then the third is you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that at length. Let's read uh, Acts chapter 10, a portion of it, 
and we'll begin with the fourth essential for being on mission, and I hope it'll encourage you today and help you today. Chapter, chapter 10 of the book of Acts. If you're ready for the reading of God's Word, say amen. amen. Well, they are here, Jay. Amen. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, who gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what you ought to do. See, Cornelius wasn't saved. He was a good man, a noble man, but he wasn't saved. He needed to know what to do to be saved. And when the angel spoke unto Cornelius, verse 7 says... Uh, was departed, that angel left, he called two of his household servants and the devout soldiers of those that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near unto the city, Peter went up the, upon the top of the house, the housetop, to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth in which were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise up and eat. Rise and kill it, Peter, and eat it. But Peter said, Not so, oh no, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him again a second time, What God has cleansed, that call not common. This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now Peter was perplexed what this vision which he had seen should mean. And while Peter was perplexed, the Bible says, the men who were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, who was surnamed Peter, lodged there. This is one of the most well-known accounts in Scripture 
Peter's vision of that great vessel, sheet, coming down with all of those clean animals and unclean animals. And the Lord showed it to him three times, and three times says, Rise, Peter, get up and slay these animals and eat them. Oh, no, no, Lord. And finally the Lord, after three times, he got the message. He, but he was perplexed about it. He didn't understand. I've heard this preached so many different ways. I heard one uh, fellow country preacher preach uh, that this means we could eat anything we want. And um, I'll tell you this, you can eat anything you want. But uh, don't try to feed it to me. But uh, you can eat anything you want. But that's not what this text is teaching us. There's a different lesson for us today that I want to bring out today. We've talked about the first three things from Acts chapter 10 that you must have to be on mission. To be put yourself in a position where you can win a soul to the Lord Jesus Christ in light of our Hoosier mission emphasis. The fourth thing begins right here in verses 5 and 6. You must serve faithfully wherever you are, even when the conditions are not ideal. You must serve faithfully where you are, even when the conditions are not ideal. This is a strange thing, this text. If you read it casually, you might miss it. But there's something very, very interesting about this text that tells us much about, about the Lord working on us and changing our ideas and changing our hearts. Peter, if you read beginning in Acts chapter 2, the history of Peter. Now, we all know that he denied the Lord three times, and we do know the Lord restored him. But in Acts chapter 1 and 2, Peter has risen to the top. This man is now a leader among leaders, and God is using him in an incredible way. First of all, Acts chapter 2, Peter is the man who preached the very first sermon of the church. And he preached it on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 souls were saved in that one sermon, by one that, the one sermon, the Lord saved them. And then after that, we read where Peter, along with John, were going to the temple to pray, and they got into the temple area, and there was... A, a man lame begging for money. And I know Peter was the pastor of a Baptist church by what he said. Silver and gold have I none. We Baptists don't have the money. But such as I have, give I thee. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And they healed a man. God healed that man through, through Peter right there in John. And as a result, Peter was persecuted, and they beat him half to death. It's remarkable. Then, this is the man who boldly had some problems in his church. 
He had two people in his church, a husband and wife, that were bragging about the money they didn't give. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter had to confront them about it. And Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? It was your money to begin with. You didn't have to give it. And you certainly didn't have to lie about what you gave. And the Lord slew right there in front of him Ananias and Sapphira. This is the same man who said, we ought to obey God rather than men. This is a powerful, powerful apostle. And then in Acts chapter 2, he, he starts expanding his ministry. And in Acts chapter 9, rather, verse 32, read, it's just right over the next page. And it came to pass, as Peter uh, passed through all quarters, he came down also to the saints in a little town called Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had kept his bed for eight years and was sick of the palsy. This man um, could not, he, he was homebound, was in his bed for eight years. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ makes thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwell in Lydda and Sharon, that area, saw him and turned to the Lord. So he, he leaves Jerusalem and he goes to Lydda and Sharon, those small communities, and he's, he is used by God to bring healing to this man, and people are saved under his ministry. People start getting saved. They turn to the Lord. And in the meantime, some people in Joppa, the city of Joppa, hear about what's happening with Peter. And verse 36 of chapter 9 says, There was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms, which she did. Acts of charity. She was a wonderful, serving Christian lady. And it came to pass in those days she was sick and died. And when they had washed her and laid her in the upper chamber, they were preparing her body for burial... For as much as Lydda was near to Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, and they sent unto him two men, saying, Would you come and help us? Come to Joppa. And Peter arose and went with them, and he was come. They brought him to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, and, and they had all the, the coats and the garments and the different things she had made and distributed to people to to help them and minister to them and garments that she had made. But Peter put them all out. He said, y'all leave. And kneeled down and prayed and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand, and he lifted her up. And when he had called all the saints and the widows back in, he said, here you go. She's alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, that city of Joppa, and many were being saved. Many people were coming to the Lord. This is a remarkable, extraordinary 
work that God is doing through our man Peter. But I want you to notice chapter 9, verse 43. And it came to pass that he tarried many days. He was there in Joppa many days. Now, the language of the text indicates that Peter did not intend on staying in Joppa too long. He just wanted to go help them, and then he wanted to get back to Lydda, where there was a great revival. But God had other plans, and he stayed there in Joppa. Now, that's probably not a bad thing. God said, I'm going to use you greatly. And he did. Many people came to the Lord in Joppa. God had people being saved in Joppa. It was a great revival. But what is so interesting, did you read the text with me? They put him up at the Hyatt Regency. He was at the downtown Hilton, wasn't he? That's where he was, at the Hilton. And he had that skyrise floor where you had to have a key to get in it in the elevator. And they, he'd stick his key in the elevator and take him on up, and he had a view of the whole city and the ocean there in Joppa. Is that right? No. He stayed in a house by the seaside of a man named Simon whose job was a tanner. Simon the tanner. Now, don't think this was a house like we have on Front Beach or East Beach. Don't think this was a mansion in Malibu. This was not. This was not even a fish camp on the river. The seaside indicates it was out of town. It was on the outskirts of town. And it was the house of a tanner. Do y'all know what a tanner is? The tanner takes in animals, kills the animals, skins the animals, and tans the hide to make leather. And so this house stunk this house was no place to stay. I know how he wound up in Joppa. I have no clue how he wound up at the Tanner's house. I don't believe Peter being an Orthodox Jew and having Jewish ideas. See, Peter struggled with this idea of of um, leaving the law. He struggled with this idea of Gentiles being saved. That's why God had to show him the sheet. That's why God had to, had to tell him three times, don't you call what I've called clean, call it unclean. In other words, God had to show him something and get into his mind to correct his thinking about Gentiles being saved, and Peter was perplexed about that. We'll get to that in about 45 minutes. But he was staying in the home where there were no doubt unclean animals that were dead. 
No Jewish person, especially a man like Peter who really wanted to hold to the law and had, had that in his mind, wasn't ready to, to recognize the fulfillment of the law in Christ Jesus. He, he, he didn't need to be staying there. But he wasn't upset about it that we know of. There's nothing, nothing in his reaction to it that, that the Holy Spirit felt was so dominant that he had to put it in Scripture. Rather, he tells us this. Peter saw many people saved in Joppa, and he prayed. So he was faithful even when the situation wasn't ideal. He was faithful even when he was uncomfortable at best. He was faithful even when his accommodations weren't what he thought they ought to be, I'm sure. But he was faithful. And so, you might be looking back on earlier days and be saying, boy, God blessed me and now I'm in a tanner's house. What did I do wrong? I shouldn't have ever left Lydda. I shouldn't have ever done this or that. But the fact is God has you there just like God had Peter there. And he is preparing you for your mission. See, sometimes we, we, we emphasize that God needs to prepare his mission for you. But a lot of times, God needs to prepare you for your mission. He needs to prepare you for that lost soul you need to reach. And so here was Peter in the Tanner's house. And my goodness... It must have been an awful place in his mind. But he was faithful there. He was faithful as he could be when the situation wasn't ideal. Second thing we need to see is that if you want to be on mission, not only do you need to be faithful when the circumstances aren't ideal, just plow through it and be faithful, you need to be a person given to prayer. You need to be a person given to prayer. Look at verse 9 of Acts chapter 10. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Peter had a habit of praying. He possessed that holy habit. He built it into himself. He had this devotion to the discipline of prayer. He went to pray at noon on the flat roof. Now think about this. It wasn't an ideal to pray. If you want to tan hides in that environment, in that culture, and in that topography, and in that um, climate... Probably the best place to put your hides is on top of the roof. And so Peter's 
I imagine scratched off a corner of that housetop and would make his way every day up there at noon, probably three times a day, but the text teaches us that this was noon when all this was going down, and he went up there to pray. See, Peter had a place where and a time when he dedicated to prayer. Let me ask you something, dear Christian. Do you have a place where and a time when during the day every day that you dedicate to prayer. Peter did. He had a place and a time that he prayed. He was busy. He was ministering to the church at Joppa. He was winning souls. People were being saved. But he made time and made a place to pray. Probably that rooftop with all those hides was a good place to not be disturbed. But that's what he did. He had to pray. Let me ask you a question. Are you involved in anything that requires prayer? even when the circumstances aren't quite right? Are you involved in anything that requires prayer? I would tell you, dear friend, if it doesn't require prayer, you need to reevaluate the value you place upon what you're doing. Because I want to tell you something. Everything worthwhile and everything eternal and everything that invests in the spiritual life of others And everything that will last requires prayer. Now, there's a wave today that I'm picking up on. I hear and observe. I see posts and I hear people talk about it. It kind of concerns me. People within the church. Heard one person say, Don't tell me you're going to pray for me. I need you to do something for me. I need your help. I don't need your prayers. Well, I won't tell you. There are many things you can do without prayer. But there is really nothing substantial you can do in the Lord's work or for that matter any other work without prayer. Be a person of prayer. You say, well, preacher, I'm, I just enjoy my life. I, I, do you have kids? You need to pray. <laughs> you have grandkids? need to pray. You got a preacher? You have a pastor? You need to pray. You got church home? You need to pray. You got loved ones? You need to pray. I mean, we have to go. School's starting up pretty soon. We need to pray. Amen. I could give you a thousand other reasons, but you need to pray. There's always something you can be praying about. But we're preaching on the essentials of being on mission, on winning souls, on winning your mission that you pick to Christ. Now, On September 25th last year, we launched our 
Who's Your Mission campaign and preached the first sermon on evangelism, personal evangelism. And I asked you to do these things. Number one, I asked you to rededicate your life and rededicate yourself to placing your life under the lordship of Jesus so you'll be obedient to him. The second thing was I asked you to pray and ask God to burden you with one soul to make, and to make that person your mission, a child, a relative, a neighbor, a teammate, a schoolmate, a friend, somebody that needs to be saved now because if they died now, they'd be in hell. And I asked God for you, I asked you to pray for them and ask God to burden you for them. And then the third thing was make that person your mission. Set that as your goal, your mission, that you're going to seek to win them to Jesus. And then I ask you to put them on our list, on our mission list, so we can be on mission together. We had over 230 names given from our church family. Lost people needing to be saved. Well, I've been praying for them all. We have people in our church that pray for them every single day. And then I asked you to commit to pray for the missions of your church family, not just your mission, but the other missions. And then I asked you to make this commitment formal on January 22nd, 2023. We had a, a container, it's right out here, a container built, and every white ping pong ball represents one of these souls. And we got so many, we planned for 100, and y'all overshot us. And the Lord gave us many names. So we had to order off Amazon.com a new container. Another container. So we've asked you to pray. And I committed to you to equip you, to help you, and to be on mission in ministry with you toward that lost person. And so we also talked about how do you pray specifically for that lost soul that needs to be saved. And and. We talked about this. Pray according to John chapter 16 that that person you're burdened for without Jesus, that the Lord will convince them of the need to be saved. That's praying right down John chapter 16. And then uh, I, 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 thought, I, I pray, when I pray for our missions, I pray Psalm 83 and verse 16, which says, Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. That's how I pray for them. And then I ask you to pray that the Lord will, will show them that they can be saved. A lot of people out there don't think they can be saved. They think they're going to have to deal with the guilt of their sin for the rest of their life, and they don't think they can be saved. But I want to tell you what, God can save anybody, anywhere. And any time. There's not a soul out there that God can't save. And then pray that the Lord will show them how to be saved. Ask God to show them how to be saved. And then pray that the Lord will teach them to do what they need to do after they're saved. We don't win somebody to Christ and say, you're on your own. No, we got to minister and show them how to, be, how to live the Christian life. That's what we're all about. And then... I ask you to pray that God will use you to partner with him as he works on your mission. That you would ask God to use you to win them to Christ. 
and to bring them to the Savior. And that was just part of the equipping ministry that, that we had. And so to help you with that, when you leave here today, if you have a mission, if you have a mission, there's a little bag that we want to give you. Who's your mission toolkit? Now inside this bag are several items. Next week I'm going to show you some more of these items, but there's some tracks we'll talk about next week. Inside is, is a New Testament a copy of the New Testament I've been using for years. It's called the Christian Life New Testament. And it has the, the Roman road and other means of sharing the gospel outline and underline in it. And it's one of the best soul winning, personal soul winning New Testaments I've ever seen. It was uh, written out and, and um, organized by Porter Barrington. I believe he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Hollywood, California. And uh, we, we got some of these in this, in this bag. And you can use it to help you win somebody to Jesus. It's got some personal soul winning notes. And if you have any questions how to use it, I can help you with that. But today I want to emphasize, like I say, there's several things in this bag. But I want to emphasize one more thing. We have printed out a sample prayer for the lost. And you can... Put the name of your mission in this line here and pray for them. You say, well, preacher, I don't agree with reading prayers. Well, you, you read the Bible, that lot of prayers in there. Amen. And uh, this just helps you. It's a guide. Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer. And, and this is a prayer for the lost. And there's not one thing wrong with using a guide. Sometimes you need a little help on what to say to the Lord. And maybe the Holy Spirit will use this. But if you have a mission... I want you to pick up one of these bags. They're, that exit back there, there's a box full of them. There's boxes out here. As a matter of fact, the box on this side is in a Dorito box. So look for the Dorito box. Cole done ate all the Doritos so we could, so we could uh, give you the bag, all right? But if you have a mission, you pick up one of these bags. It's a toolkit. And there's some other things in here that we'll go through uh, next time. But uh, that, that prayer guide is, is what we're talking about today. Now you say, well, preacher, um, it's for those who have a mission. Yes, because, you know, these things cost money. But I want to tell you, maybe last week and this week today, the Lord's convicting you about not having a mission. And you need to turn in a mission. It's not too late. It's never too late to be burdened for lost people. So get yourself a mission and get, pick up a blue sheet on the table out here, fill it out, and put it there in the box. We'll get it. We'll put that person on our mission list, and you pick you up one of these today. But uh, that's a mission toolkit. Who's your mission toolkit? Peter was a man who prayed, and he was praying, and he was out on mission for the people of Joppa, and God gave him a Gentile centurion uh, in, uh, the, in another city. In Caesarea. It's a remarkable thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. But the third thing, the third thing I want to show you today about the essential of being on mission is you must love people, your mission, like Jesus loves them. You must share in the heart of Jesus, in the desire for the salvation of others. You must have the heart of Jesus and care about lost people and be on mission 
with Jesus. Jesus said, go ye therefore into all the world. He gave us the great commission and share the gospel. And lo, I'm with you always. You want to know where Jesus is? He's out looking for souls. And you want to be with Jesus, you got to be out looking for souls. Amen. Follow Jesus. Where will he lead you? To be a fisher of men. You need the heart of the Lord Jesus. You will never have sweeter, deeper fellowship with the Lord Jesus than when you're out seeking the soul to be saved. That's when you have fellowship with Jesus. And so you must share the heart of Jesus. All me. So Peter, the the Lord's working on Peter in chapter 10. He's having to change his heart. And so the first thing he does is he makes his circumstances difficult. He puts him in a stinking house with dead animals. Amen. That's where he puts him. And you might feel you're that way now. You're just in a bad place. Well, God might be preparing your heart to have a heart for the lost. And then he shows him this, he puts him in a trance and shows him this sheet that comes down with all these unclean and clean animals. And the Lord says, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, oh, no, no, I've never done that. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't you call unclean what I have called clean. And so God had to give him his word, his direct word to correct his heart. And this was the Lord telling Peter, Peter, you don't have a heart for the lost like I do. Peter, you don't have a heart for the Gentiles like I do. You need to care about people like I do. Peter, you're faithful, you're good, but you're not faithful enough. You got to have my heart. And in Peter's experience here, real quickly, there are three things that keep us from having the heart of Jesus for the lost. Can I share them with you? Number one is our flesh, our sinful flesh. Peter was doing everything right, he went up there to pray in that difficult place. And after he prayed, he got hungry. His flesh got hungry, and he got up, and before he could get up, God had to knock him into a trance. Peter was so set on going to get something to satisfy his flesh that God had to say, all right, I'm going to trance you out and put him in that trance. Just think if God hadn't put him in that trance, Peter would have got up and gotten something to eat. Isn't it real interesting? He would eat in this tanner's house, but he would say, not so, Lord. And so your flesh, your sinful flesh will keep you from having the heart. It just turns inward about your needs. The second thing is, is our own self-righteousness. Our own self-righteousness. Verse 14 of our text says, But Peter said, not so, Lord, I have never, never have I done anything like that. That's his own self-righteousness. No doubt that by staying at the tanner's house, the Lord had already been beginning to work on his heart. 
And friend, sometimes we need God to remind us that we're not as wholesome and as righteous as we think we are, especially when you disobey God and you disagree with the Lord. He told God, no, no, and our own self-righteousness. And then the third thing is, Peter was perplexed. Sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we just don't understand that it's not about us. This church is not about us. It's about Jesus and his mission. It's about souls being saved and disciples being made and baptisms and growing people in the Lord. It's just not about us. And Peter was perplexed. What does this mean? And right then and there, the call came. Is Peter here? And he was about to learn what it means. I want to tell you what, the best way to get the right focus on the church and the right focus on what we're to be about is to get a mission. And God will show you. Let me illustrate this real quickly. The other day, we had some company in town. And we were riding around and showing them around. And me and my pastor friend, preacher friend, were in the front seat. And the two wives were in the back seat. That's what they got in there. I didn't force that. Don't get mad. That's just how it worked out. And we're riding down the street. And all of a sudden, Miss Tracy says, Turn around, turn back around. I just saw something that's odd. Turn around, I'll turn around. And I didn't, you know, uh, I want to tell you what I did. I put my foot down and I turned around. <laughs> and we said, she said, slow down, slow down. And what we saw, now you got to understand, there's two preachers in that truck. Now, if you've never been around preachers much, you might not understand this, but we, we have a filter through which we see things. Okay, we do. We're, we, we're that way. And there, were, there was two people, and I hope they're not here today. I don't mean to offend you, but they were sitting on their front porch. Now, when I sit on my front porch, I look out on the street, and I, you know, see people riding by and all that. Well, these folks were sitting on their front porch, and they were just looking at their door. They weren't looking at the street. There was, and we kind of got tickled about that. Now, you say, you people are weird. Yes, we are. <laughs> but you called me here 22 years ago. And I said, there ought to be a sermon illustration in that. And I started thinking of sermon illustrations. And my buddy said, I'll tell you a good illustration. That's how many people are in the church. They got it made. They're all where they ought to be. Life is good. And they turn their chairs around. And they don't look at the people passing by who need Jesus. They just look at their front door. What they've built what is theirs, what they have. And they don't look at the street. Sometimes we're not on mission 
because we just don't get it. Amen. We're hungry, and God has to put us in a trance sometimes. Right now, this text just put us in a trance. I think it's time some of you turned your chairs back to the street. Amen. I pray you will get a mission. Now, don't start getting ready to go because now's the important part. This is where, this is where exposition becomes application. Three things you're invited to do today. Number one, change your thinking. Turn your chairs toward the street. And get a mission if you don't have one. Ask God, number two, to give you a heart for the lost. And then the third thing, are you saved? If you were to die right now, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If you're not 100% certain that if you die today, you'd go to heaven, that means you believe there's a chance you would go to hell because there's only two places to go when you die. You don't want to gamble with that. You don't want to live with that. You want to be like old Paul. I know who I have believed, and he is able to keep me. That's what you want. And you want to know you're saved. And the Bible can tell you how to be saved and give you the assurance of salvation. And that's what we're here to help you with. That's the message we want to tell you. And the way we want to do it is, is I'm going to pray. And then we're going to stand up. And there's going to be a song being sung, some music. And if you're not 100% certain that if you died today that you'd go to heaven and you want to be, you just come down that aisle and I'm going to be standing right here. Our family minister is going to be standing right here. And we will take you by the hand and you just look at us and say, I want to know with certainty I'm going to heaven when I die. And we will know what to do. And we will more than likely... Introduce you to somebody who will take you to a special place in our church building where you can visit and talk and ask questions without background noise and get a full understanding, and they will share with you what to do to receive Christ. So number one, turn your chairs to the street. Get a mission. Ask God to give you His heart for the lost. And number three, Come forward and give your life to Jesus. That's the invitation. Let's stand together.